0: Longhorn pod on twitter facebook and instagram it's the longhorn republic or shoot us an email longhornrepublicpod at gmail.com my name is gerald goodridge i'm your host this week like i am every week and i'm joined by a man who's so excited to be talking about football kyle carpenter kyle how are you
1: you know i i am counting down days gerald it's uh it's hot and that, I guess, is uh, what we have for football games now is intense heat. So, uh, so yeah, it feels, feels right, right? Fall is what I associate with football, but not the start. That's, that's the hot summer with the, the players getting ready to go through some intense conditioning, seeing pictures of Bijan dragging chains on the field through uh, heat vapors behind him. Cool picture. Looks miserable. <laughs> uh, but it's football, baby. It's, uh, it's exciting. As much fun spring sports as we have to talk, it is always great think about football being near
0: yeah new texas edition uh diamante tucker dorsey if you don't know he transferred in mm-hmm. To play linebacker for the Horns On June 3rd was already complaining about the heat And I, I don't know who's going to break it to him That like, June is not as hot as it's going to get Brother um, July, August, and even September Some of October are probably going to roast you uh, So just just a heads up That uh, yeah, it's, it is it is Air quotes fall for much of Football season, but it doesn't honestly feel Like that, in Austin, or really anywhere In Texas for most of that But we're not here to talk meteorology That's our other podcast Doppler Dorks. We're here to talk about football. Football is on the schedule. So if you're new with us, the 13 weeks leading up to the season, Kyle, we go through week by week in the Texas schedule and have somebody knows a little bit more than us on to help us break it down.
1: And I am excited to kick this series, my one of my favorite parts of this podcast off. Excited to kick this off. A little less excited that you missed Doppler Gangers, but go ahead. Oh
0: man. Who's better? Gosh, that's a good one. Kyle and I like to say we know enough to know that we don't know enough. And so we reached out to our friends over at Underdog Dynasty, and they set us up with Steve Helwick who he knows ULM, but he happens to just be a Texas grad. So it seemed like a a match made in heaven. We're 86 days away from kickoff and Steve is here to help us preview the ULM Warhawks. Steve, how are you doing
2: today? I'm doing excellent. Uh, those 80-whatever days can't come <laughs> soon enough. Excited for college football season to kick off again, and always exciting previewing schedules and all of that. And this is our first
1: one, so uh, our fans. Luckily, Texas has had a really good spring season of sports, but come on, it's... it's uh... It's it's post a football player's jersey number amount of days from football, right? We're on the countdown officially social media season, so uh, we can almost taste it.
0: <laughs> we're, we're out of the defensive linemen. We're into the wide receivers. <laughs> we'll be into the offensive linemen here in about 10 days, and it'll be uh... – It'll be great. No, so ULM, I think the, the big thing with ULM is, is coaching turnover, right? The last couple of years have been wet and wild. So Terry Bowden took over a year ago, took over for Matt Vietor. Vietor? I can never say his name right, uh, but it doesn't matter. He's not the coach anymore, but he went winless in 2020. So Terry Bowden came in uh, and in one year went from 0-10 to 4-8, which is a market improvement. And so uh, from your perspective, Steve, like what's the expectation in year two for a guy like Bowden with the team that he's uh, trying to turn around.
2: Well last year there was no expectation because in that 2020 pandemic season not only did ULM go winless, they never had a lead the entire season. Wow. And they were getting they were getting boat raced on a weekly basis even by some bad team. so that team went 0 and 10. So to see ULM go four and eight last year was just markedly improved. From what anyone expected. And they had a huge win over a Malik Willis Liberty led team, where that Liberty had a 14-0 lead and ULM scored 28 points in a single quarter to upset the flames in that game. So that was that was the momentum gaining win for this program. But and ULM improved to four and three a week later but they ended the season on a five game losing streak and there were some winnable games in there against Texas state and Arkansas state. So it kind of felt like a lost opportunity to attain bowl eligibility. This is a program that's only been to a bowl game once in its entire history. That was 2012, the season that they knocked off a ranked Arkansas team early in the season. So, any time this team can sniff bowl eligibility, that's considered a success for this program because there really isn't much history at ULM. Uh, in the Matt Viator era, it looked like they were going to come close a few times. They went 6-6 six and six one year, and I think that was 2018. And then in 2019, the team went 5-7 and seven and was an extra point being blocked away from beating Florida State. So this team has come close recently. But – Bowl eligibility would definitely be a huge step forward for this program. It's like when New Mexico State went bowling in 2017, and it was just a huge success for the program. But the schedule's not easy. Texas and Alabama are on the non conference schedule, and then there's a handful of those Sun Belt teams that are annual contenders, like Louisiana, Coastal Carolina, Georgia State, on the schedule. So there, there looks like six surefire losses on the schedule, so it's about beating those other teams. You've got to beat the South Alabamas of the conferences, the, the Texas states. You have to separate yourself among those teams if you want to obtain eligibility, but this team, I'd say about three and nine, four and eight would be the expectation of where I'm expecting them
1: to go, though. So I think, you know, that, that first number, the number of wins, I think a lot of it will be predicated a bit on how the offense does. And, you know, you bring back uh sophomore quarterback, Chandler Rogers, 1300 yards, nine touchdowns, scrambled a bit for uh, over three fifty, and another score. Um, the, the, the maybe bigger loss for the offense will be replacing a, a name that listeners of this podcast will be familiar with rich Rodriguez uh, who left to be the head coach at Jacksonville state after one year, uh, um, I think Matt Kubic is the is the OC there now I, I mean it, it, with some tools there and an offense that had a little success uh, last year what, what do you think in the the second year of the Bowden era the offense might look like in, in spite of a, a new OC
2: I'm excited to see more of Rodgers's growth because last year I thought he was their better, better quarterback he he split time with Rhett Rodriguez rich Rod's son mm-hmm for a lot of the games and I thought Rodgers gave them their best opportunity to win a lot of the time. And he was a pretty good scrambler quick on his feet. Don't be deceived by his rushing numbers because ULM gave up some of the most sacks in the country (laughs) to the point where the the offensive line was porous and Rodgers did not get a lot of leeway from them, but he was able to make some good plays with those legs. And that helped them win some of those games, like the Liberty game that I mentioned earlier, and he can sling a deep. And I think that he has a good, returning receiving core uh jeremiah knight nicknamed boogie knight is nice. their
0: top it.
2: <laughs> top receiver uh, former akron transfer that's returning to the lineup and he had nearly 600 yards last year so i think that uh, that rapport between the two of them should really help the offense this year and then you have some of those other uh targets that he preferred like will derrick and malik jackson returning to the offense so i do think that ulm returning a lot of their skill position players can take this offense to another level this year. However, this was one of the worst rushing teams in the country last year. They weren't as bad as they were in 2020 the season they went winless. I think they averaged about 70 yards a game, which might have been the lowest in the country that year. And but ULM this year, they do return their starting running back Andrew Henry. So I think shoring up the offensive line especially in Uh, run blocking would be the step this offense needs to take in order to improve because I think the passing game can be decent enough with the returning core.
0: So you threw a wrench in my show notes because the next thing I was like, well, what's the big, what's the big opportunity? What's the big, uh, what's the big question for ULM offensively? Because they return a bunch of skill positions. That's literally uh, what I just said. So let's, uh, let's shift a little bit and talk about the defense then since you were just so well prepared to talk about today. Um, so ULM again, another change at the, at, at, on their coaching staff, uh, when Rich Rodriguez went, Zach Alley followed him out the door. Uh, and so Vic Koenig, Can- a guy who uh, has been around, I believe he was, um, his first job as a defensive coordinator was when, like, Zach Alley was three years old, so he's a little bit more seasoned uh, than on the defensive side, but the defense was... Poor, almost as porous as the offensive line last year. So what in what ways should we hope to see ULM improve defensively? What was the big flaw last year, and how can they improve on it?
2: Uh, it was definitely passing defense, and I think they were probably in the bottom five in passing defense, and that's why they lost games like that Arkansas State game because Arkansas State had zero defense at all last year, but they had an incredible passing offense. I just remember Valence Hunt, uh, former TCU transfer just destroying that, that ULM secondary. So I think that would be a lot of it. So coverage is probably the team's biggest issue, and they had a rather inexperienced secondary last year, and that's going to need some improvement this year. I'd say the best player in that secondary would be one of the safeties, Jabari Johnson. Other than that, I think that the corner play definitely needs work especially in deep zone coverage for ULM. So I would say that aspect of the defense definitely is where I would look for the most improvement for this team. Also, they lost some of their best defenders to NFL draft consideration. I think uh, Travion Webster, who was our leading tackler last year, and Ty Shelby, who led the team in sacks, both moved on to the NFL. So you're losing a couple key pieces of your front seven, there as well and then Josh Newton was a transfer to TCU so he was their best cornerback last year so you're working with a little bit of a revamped more inexperienced defense you have a new unit this year and ULM didn't bring in many transfers last year which was kind of a surprise because in the first year of the Terry Bowden era they were very transfer reliant but this past year they had a lot more outgoing than incoming. That's fantastic I I mean That'll be an early game for
1: some young Texas offensive players uh, and Quinn Ewers and, and uh, Texas offensive linemen who may be young to uh, get a chance to, to push some people around and hopefully uh, flex their muscles a little bit based on on that uh, scouting report. Um, you know, you, you, you mentioned uh boogie Knight, and i can't let that go i did just look it up he was born in 1999 boogie nights came out in 1997 so for any of our listeners uh, who just wanted to feel old there you go um <laughs> there is a player boogie Knight, younger than the movie um so uh kind of all in all right we talked a little bit of of Offense and some some returning skill position coaching change defensive coordinator went with Rich Rodriguez so coaching changed there and some players who went on to the next level or, or left the program. Um, all in all, you know that being said, you kind of gave the expectation up top. What do you think are some storylines that uh, ULM fans or or people who are keeping an eye on this team uh, and you personally are watching heading into heading
2: into the fall? Well, one storyline I'm definitely watching is. I'm trying to compare this program to a program in El Paso with Dana Dimmel and the UTEP minors because UTEP was in a very similar situation recently where UTEP was posting one in 11, 0 and 12 seasons and it felt like there was no room for improvement. They were ranking last in so many categories across the country on offensive and defensive ends. And suddenly everything just clicked last year with the UTEP team and they, put up a pretty decent performance against Fresno state in their bowl game last year. Very good Fresno state team in the new Mexico bowl. They finished seven and six overall. So I'm looking for this team to see if they can make that UTEP like leap develop those skill position players like UTEP had last year. Could a uh, boogie Knight become like Jacob Cowing did for UTEP. Could Chandler Rogers make that leap like Gavin Hardison did last year for the minors. So I'm trying to, I, I think UTEP could be used as an inspiration for a lot of programs that are in the cellar right now, your UCons, your ULMs, to see if you can get a coaching change, get a culture change, and then develop your players and, and reap the benefits. So that's one thing I'm looking for. Also, Terry Bowden, he has done this at a program before he inherited an Akron team that was posting Mm -hmm. similar results and, Akron had never won a bowl game before the 2015 famous Idaho potato bowl upset Utah state. So Terry Dalvin done this with a program before, and he's already ahead of schedule. I thought with year one, with those wins over Troy and Liberty and even South Alabama, who had uh, some offensive talent last year with Jake Bentley and Jalen Tolbert, who was an NFL draft pick. So I think that, I think that ULM's ahead of schedule and I'd like to see how far Terry Bowden can take this team because I thought his tenure at Akron was a success. He appeared in a Mac championship game and he won a bowl game. Things that didn't really seem likely at Akron when he first entered the system. So wonder if he can do that in Monroe also.
0: I've never heard somebody use UTEP as like a measuring stick for anything uh, other than like beautiful stadiums right outside of like, this is the best stadium in the country. We had like the UTEP uh, beat writer on two years ago and he sounded like a, like he was just ready to quit. Like, so the, the turn, the turnaround that, that has happened there uh, is incredible. And yeah, it would be great to see uh, ULM, <clears throat> ULM get to that point. And so uh, you have been, Exhaustive in the best way possible on just everything that we prepared to ask you for uh, outside of these ridiculous questions So um, we're going to shift gears a little bit and we're going to talk Just some rapid fire questions. We've had some bad names for them in the past (laughs) Kyle had the hook to them round, which I will never let him live down just all sorts of terrible stuff We're just gonna go rapid fire. Uh, just off the top of your head, uh ULM changed its mascot in 2006, and the three semifinalists were the Warhawks, which they landed on, uh, the Bayou Gators, and the Bayou Hawks. We're going to let you pick one of those two Bayou Gators and Bayou Hawks, which are far superior uh, mascot options. Make your case for either of them. I'd love to hear uh, which one you prefer and why.
2: I think I'd go the Bayou Hawks. That sounds very local flavor for Louisiana. I think Bayou Gators might, uh, there's already the Florida Gators, and I think that might be a little. Over uh, too many Gators in college football, so I think Bayou Hawks is good. It sounds a little less generic than Warhawks and has more local flavor. So I think that would be, I think that would have been the ideal name, and I think you could get some good logos with that one too.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting. The uh, the famous alum that I'm going to mention here all came pre 2006 when they uh, when they changed uh, the name over. So maybe they have some thoughts on on what it, what it should be. But if you had to pick one famous ulm alumni to share a famous nachitosis meat pie uh the northern louisiana delicacy uh from uh, from that part of the world uh who would you choose to share a meal and break uh some some deep fried bread with um broadcaster tim brando country music sensation tim mcgraw who played baseball uh at ulm um Duck Dynasty's Willie Robertson, uh, a, a notable resident who still lives in the area, or Super Bowl winning coach and former
2: successful ULM quarterback, Doug Peterson? i definitely go Doug Peterson out of those options. I love the Philly special. I think of it, and he's, he's a bold guy. He had that fourth down in the fourth quarter of that Super Bowl where they went to Zach Ertz, where a lot of teams would have punted there. And I, I like the no-risk-it, no-biscuit philosophy that he lives by in. And yeah, no. I'd like to see what he can do in Jacksonville with Trevor Lawrence. So I, I'm going to pick Doug Peterson.
0: I'll allow it now because of that question, though, don't take the girls going to be stuck in my head in the worst <laughs> way possible for the next, like, I don't know, seven to eight days. I wanted to share that with you and everybody who's listening to this podcast. Uh, you have to suffer with me. So ULM plays Bama the week after Texas. They have a common opponent. So it seems like it's a fair measuring uh, stick, And especially since you are a Texas grad. We'd love to get your opinion on both games. So we'll start with Texas because it's chronologically first. What is your prediction for the Texas game? And then roll right into your prediction for the ULM, Bama, Texas, ULM, Texas. want to hear your thoughts on your prediction on both.
2: Let me just Google the score of what Texas UTEP was in 2020. It was, <laughs> uh, and I'll just copy and paste that one. 59 to three there. <laughs> 59 to three is what I'm going to have as the opener last year, Texas actually played a difficult Sun Belt team and they were the only team to beat them all year. They played Louisiana radio oh, yeah. cages in week one. And that was, that was last year's Texas's back moment where they <laughs> were, in, they were in control for that game uh, pretty well. And Louisiana improved greatly after that game. I mean, Louisiana almost lost to an FCS team the week after, which looked to minimize Texas's win at the time. But then Louisiana finished the season strong and Texas didn't really catch on. But <laughs> I think this year it's going to be a lot easier for the Horns. But the Bama game, it's Bama. I I mean, even as a Texas alum, I I can't find reasons to pick Texas. I do love the way the offense is going this year. I mean, I'm not going to pick a running back in the country over B. John Robinson. Xavier Worthy is a stud receiver. We saw what he did in the Oklahoma game last year. We saw what he did against Texas tech. And even in the loss to Kansas where he almost single-handedly brought them back with three touchdowns. And then you add a deep threat, Isaiah and to that situation where the stats he posted at Wyoming were insane. He was averaging 22 yards a reception, just a deep target for Sean chambers and Levi Williams, almost available on every single play, really good at adjusting midair to some of those deep throws. So Texas has the offense, I think, too, that could match Bama. Defensively, I think there's going to be a huge gap between the teams. Texas really doesn't have a player that I can point to as a reliable pass rusher at the moment. Uh, last year, I don't know if anyone really registered four sacks on the team. I don't have the stats in front of me, but I don't know about that. Nope. Uh, and they also don't have – as much NFL talent on defense as Alabama right now. I know Overshun's probably the best player on Texas and they do have a pretty good massive defensive line going for the team. But I think there's some concerns I'd have in the secondary right now for the Longhorns. So I think Alabama is much better on a defensive front right now. And I think that the Crimson tide come in and win that game as Alabama usually does in non-conference play.
1: So if I hear what you're saying, Texas will beat Louisiana Monroe lose to Alabama, then Alabama will lose to Louisiana Monroe. That makes perfect sense. It's the full this is cycle. not 2007.
2: <laughs>
1: it, UL, the... <laughs> ULM beat them in 07. Nick Saban's lost to this team before. One of my favorite anecdotes in college football was Saban. You know, was wearing a LSU championship ring. He told the story when he lost to to ULM. He stopped for gas, and a gas station employee asked him about it and uh he he said oh i got it when i was coaching for lsu and i'm going to bring one of those to alabama uh and, and i i i don't know if the coach didn't recognize nick saban or didn't care but he said as long as nick is the head football coach at alabama we'll never win a championship so times were bleak uh in the beginning of the nick saban era obviously they have since turned it around so let's 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 close on on I think something more We talked way too much football There's something more The speed for this podcast Uh, What we really What we really want on here We're we're talking about Two programs with history Truly with history Texas uh, Just dominates uh, Two of the water sports Current reigning champion uh, National champion in in rowing Had a disappointing Second place finish in swimming But the Kind of all time powerhouse In men's swimming And and one of the perennial powers In women's swimming Um, But ULM Owns water skiing. It is the most successful program in the history of college sport, having won 28 National Collegiate Water Skiing Association championships since 1979. They are the Alabama football and Texas baseball and Texas swimming of the skiing world. So with that, give me your best rivalry name for these two programs uh,
2: that are are very aquatic based. That's an interesting one. That's a tough one. <laughs> trying to think of bodies of water in austin you have lady bird lake trying to implement that uh let's see the the lady hawk rivalry like lady bird with the hawk
1: Ooh, okay. Ooh. That's clever. You actually brought that home. I, I thought I would have you fully stumped. You, you you brought it home. I would have taken lakes versus bayous or something, but you you, you actually got creative with it. I, I respect, I tip my cap.
0: Well, Steve, we don't want to keep you all night, so we really appreciate your time. If people want more of what you have to offer, brother, where can they find you on the internet?
2: On Twitter mainly, uh, S underscore Helwick. Uh, Shelwick was taken when I signed up for Twitter, unfortunately, <laughs> so I have to deal with the underscore still. And uh, most of my work's on Underdog Dynasty and Hustle Belt, uh, two SB Nation platforms. I pretty much follow all 130, actually it's 131 teams now, welcome James Madison to the Sun Belt. So all 131 teams. So I like to follow all of them and provide tweets and content about all of college football, even if, I'm a Texas alum and cover certain conferences. I don't discriminate against any college football teams. There is no doubt that it's probably been more fun
1: to be a fan of almost any of the 130 other teams than the Texas Longhorns the past decade. Um, no, Nick, you are an absolute match. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for in-depth coverage. And uh, we will certainly uh, be tweeting at you and looking for your, your takes uh, as a Texas fan when this game rolls around. All right, Gerald, now let's bring it back uh, to the world through some burnt orange lenses. Again, back to the spring sports, A lot to uh, to cover here. Uh, start with tennis, sophomore sensation Peyton Stearns announces her decision to turn pro, the three-time All-American, led the Longhorns, obviously, to back-to-back NCAA team titles and became the first player in program history to win the NCAA singles crown, named the 2022 ITA National Player of the Year. Just an incredible, incredible competitor athlete. We've been covering her all year. Had an unbelievable year, obviously, on the tennis Mount Rushmore. Um, Coach Jaffe talking about probably the greatest impact of any one player on, on the tennis program in UT's history. So, um, wish her luck. Understand the desire to get out there and uh, monetize. But uh, hate to see her no longer on the forty.
0: I mean, there's not much left for her to accomplish on on the amateur circuit, so it makes complete sense for her to go. Like it's rare that it's rare, at least for at Texas, to see somebody uh, go pro early in tennis. But like you said, there's there's not necessarily much for her to accomplish, and so more power to you. Third title defense in NCAA history since 1982. Uh, so really quite impressive uh, for her. A great career, and we wish her the best uh, wherever she lands.
1: And there is talent still on the Forty Acres. Don't uh, don't fret too much. Stearns obviously finished the season ranked number one uh, in the ITA women's rankings, but there were many Longhorns ranked there. She earns an All American. Kylie Collins also earned singles All American, number thirty five. Sabina, uh, who posted an incredible twenty three and one record on the year, uh, moved up to number sixty six. Malika Rapolu at number ninety nine, and Alura. Allura uh, Zamaripa At number 124 All finishing The season ranked And then in doubles Stearns and Allura uh, Earned All Americans As well with the Number 10 uh, Final ranking They had a good run In doubles as well um, And Charlotte uh, Shavatabon And Kylie Collins Top 50 at number 44 You're
0: gonna be so upset When Allura graduates Like it's gonna be The worst day of your life Cause you won't have That anymore And I'm sad for you Already Kyle
1: I mean, look. I was very sad when we lost Roddy's and I got Nalora. So you know, it's it's it's. I flow. Our tennis teams always are fantastically named, and it isn't an exclusive to the women's side. Gerald, a couple. Fantastically named gents and fantastic performers also received some ITA All-American honors. couple of doubles partners, uh, Richard Ciamara and our boy Cleve Harper, obviously after winning the national championship, also uh, received All-American honors. Elliot Spaziri and C.M. Moldiab also for the second time received All-American honors as well. So uh, a lot going on on the tennis court, a lot of recognition uh, to be uh Taken care of in the final uh, bit on the men's side. Uh, another <laughs> just phenomenal name. I say it so that you don't have to. Gerald Pierre Yves Bally becomes the third straight longhorn to claim the uh, ITA Texas Region Rookie of the Year. Uh, Micah Braswell did so last year and CM Moldiab the year before. So good things. Uh, keep that pipeline churning on both men's and women's on the hard court. Gerald, a couple awards on the diamond baseball still playing um we have the first of what should be many postseason awards but ivan melendez was named uh to both the collegiate baseball all-american first team with pete hansen and murphy staley joining him on the second team um just really really uh well deserved there we talked about melendez at length um in all this season but i think murphy staley should not be forgotten the point when we recorded this 377 with 21 doubles, 17 homers 54 RBI uh 7th in hits nationally 166 total bases or 13th nationally uh, Pete Hansen him, for himself was named one of the finalists for the College Baseball Foundation National Pitcher of the Year uh 10 and 1 with a th- basically 3 flat ERA 107 RBIs and just under 100 100- Innings pitched, only walked 16 batters this year, Gerald. Just three really incredible players that have a lot to say about Texas uh, playing some good baseball.
0: I think about where we were like even six weeks ago with this Texas team, and and, um, the the seasons felt way more disappointing because of where we were preseason, and so I guess that's why we advise you uh, not to let your highs get too high and your lows get too low because the team that we were very frustrated with ended up with like nine all-conference players, right? You've got Silas, Murphy, Pete, uh, Trey Faltini, Skyler, Lucas uh, Lucas Gordon, Doug Hodo, Austin Todd, like all those guys made all-conference. And again, six weeks ago, we were like, woe is me, is Texas even going to make it out of regionals? And now they're sitting, you know, a couple of games away from a, uh, another trip to Omaha. So um, I guess it's woe on us for that.
1: <laughs> the sky is not always falling, but sometimes sky messenger is blasting balls up into the air he was named the regional although he was not on that uh, all conference team or no he was on second team sorry i wasn't on the first team he was named the uh austin regional player of the regional so uh it, it, longhorns can come at you from multiple different angles uh women's golf speaking of big 12 awards women's golf coach ryan murphy named the big 12 coach of the year uh joined with some all big 12 seniors sarah kuzkova and freshman beau park uh, earned all big 12 team honors and for the men's side uh, win a national championship honors will follow a trio for men's golf um, not only earned uh, collegiate honors but also earning some spots in the pga tour university class of 2022 pearson cootie finished the year where he was most of it in the number one spot Cole Hammer finished at number five and because they were both top five Finishers, they receive Corn Ferry Tour membership. So they are ready to go on and be professional golfers, immediately getting their, uh, their professional license because of their collegiate finish, which is fantastic. Parker Cootie uh, finished the year at number 13. He claims membership on the PGA uh, International Tour with a top 15 finish and can obviously uh, earn his way onto the Corn Ferry. Uh, as well.
0: We, again, this is another team where we were uh, a little wary after, you know, the way that the season started. But uh, when the cooties got hot and got healthy, really, the the team started rolling and they won a national championship. This was kind of a prove it year uh, for all these guys who were very highly touted and they absolutely proved it. And so uh, enjoy the pro ranks, fellas. We will uh, cheer you on there. And our final
1: Burnt Orange Lenses item, this will come to your ears on Thursday. But uh, as we talked about with Brett on our Tuesday show, uh, track and field Send in a grip of folks who are currently uh, competing um, in the NCAA natties. 25 total, 11 on the men's side, 14 on the women's side, the 4x1 team, Daniel Garland, Willington Ryan, Marcellus Moore, Micaiah Harris. 4x4 four four of John Moss, Jones, Wright, and Heron. The 100, 200 are both Micaiah Harris. 400 is Wright, Jonathan Jones, Brian Heron. 800, Yusuf uh, Bismana and Charles Brockman. Long jump, Stacy Brown. Triple jump, also Brown. Disc, Sean Stavanoa. And shot put, our guy Trip Papiri, joined by Jaleel Brewer. Eleven qualifiers on the men's side. On the women's side, fourteen. Again, multiple relays here. Julian, Alfred, Kavano, Davis, Kennedy, Flannel, and Rossette. Adeleke for the four by one. Uh, Kennedy, Simon, Adeleke, uh, Alfred, Stacey, and Williams in the four by four hundred. Is Alfred, Davis, Flannel. Two hundred, Flannel, Davis, Adeleke. You see some some commonality here, which is great. Four hundred, Williams and Simon. Eight hundred, Valerie Tobias, who turned in the second best time in school history during the. Um, qualifiers and in 400 hurdles milan young high jump tyra Gittens triple jump keela smith long jump both smith and Gittens, and in the shot put marilyn nuora so 14 on the women's side joining 11 on the men's side for 25 total
0: Seems like they got a good shot. I mean, Texas doesn't need the Natties for what's presumably another director's cut, but uh, if they win both, that will tie Stanford for uh, the most national championships in an academic year. Or so, uh, wouldn't it be nice?
1: <laughs> Certainly would, Gerald. You know what else is nice? A little relaxing TV with yourself or with your family. It's all good, Gerald. What? if you been watching on your giant screen as we head into Godzilla, Tron,
0: it's funny. You say relaxing TV because most of the TV I watched this week was not very relaxing. <laughs> uh, so we did polish off Sonic the Hedgehog Two, It's finally on Paramount plus just as charming as the first one. Idris Elba voices knuckles, which, um, knuckles has always been on the list of animated characters. I assume was black, but this just kind of puts it right over <laughs> the edge. Uh, so glad to have you aboard the train there. Personally, I, the boys is back. Season three is back. Um, it is, I I don't recommend watching this show to anybody because it's 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 satire, but it's like, it's so hard to satire modern politics and corporate environments that they also go over the top in like the gratuitous violence to like set it all, you kind of put it on the edge. So uh, I wouldn't recommend watching it if, if like, again, if you're not already doing so. Uh, and then we're still slow leaking through uh, the first half of the final season of Stranger Things because once again, Absolutely terrifying. Absolutely stinking terrifying. Uh, and I like to sleep. And so we can't really do more than one of those every couple of days or I'll start to have weird dreams. So that's where we're at in our lives.
1: <laughs> I love it. Uh, so I, I mentioned, Gerald, in my trip upcoming to London, I'll be going to the Downton Abbey Castle. So we are watching Downton Abbey. We have powered through a uh, majority of it on that trip. Also, we'll be um, going, uh, touring through the Churchill uh, rooms, which are just, it's incredible, As um, a history buff. Um, An incredible thing to do And so when my wife actually fell asleep While we were watching Downton Abbey Instead of being the jerk who just goes on And keeps watching episodes um, I turned in a- another movie That she actually when she woke up Thought was huh where did Downton Abbey jump to um, <laughs> And I believe they have at least one or two Actors in common But I'm talking about Darkest Hour um, I had never seen this. I think it came out a few years ago, like twenty seventeen ish. Sounds right. But basically, um, looks at uh, World War Two as uh, Hitler rises and and Neville Chamberlain steps down. Winston Churchill steps into power. It basically is an inside look at um, Churchill with all his quirks and mannerisms and uh, eccentricities. Um, and it's it's an interesting look. It, it was not it was not the the, the best movie I've ever seen but it's a great little filler if you like um if you like kind of the the drama war or biography films it seems to check all of those things Winston Churchill one of the most biographed uh humans to ever live there's some fantastic um biographies written about him like I said this was good just not I think on that level I will say Gary Oldman as Winston Churchill and with his mannerisms was just knockout performance like that was more fun than anything in the movie um so, yeah, I mean, obviously you have the great Churchill quotes of, you know, that you know him for the we'll fight them on the beaches speech. The uh, you know, you can't reason with a tiger when your head's in its mouth. Some of these these famous Churchill isms. And again, you forget that it's Gary Oldman behind the prosthetics uh, acting it and just knocking it absolutely Uh, out of the park um so again an entertaining thing if you're a Gary Oldman completionist which why shouldn't you be one of (laughs) our greatest uh actors of our era then absolutely uh I'd say check it out it's worthwhile it's it's a nice little hour and a half uh Interesting keeps the plot moving. Um, again, some historical maybe stretches to make it work, but uh, a pretty good film.
0: Gary Oldman is on the long list of people that I constantly forget as British. Uh, and <laughs> it's just like, oh yeah, he is from he is from England. That's fine. Uh, but that's all we've got for you this week, Kyle. Where can the good folks find you on the internet?
1: Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas Pre at Texas Pre
0: You can follow me on Twitter. I am at G H Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at. Longhorn Pod, Facebook and Instagram, The Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, Longhorn Republic Pod at gmail.com. We'll be back next week with some more baseball coverage. We'll also be previewing the Alabama Crimson Tide, big non conference matchup. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week, and until next time, Hook 'em.
1: Hook 'em. Don't call us pacifists, but we're going to destroy the Warhawks.